We're increasingly aware that our young people can feel under enormous strain and pressure. And this is especially true in the run-up to exams. As parents, it's not always clear how best to help our children, let alone spot the signs. Hello and welcome to the Revision Report podcast brought to you by The Study Buddy. I'm Nathan McGurl, the founder of The Study Buddy. In this series, I talk to a range of experts, parents and students about studying and how best to approach exams. From nutrition to sleep and from stress to mental health, we'll be exploring how best to support young people while they're revising. There'll be a new episode every Friday morning, so subscribe, review and maybe leave a five-star rating. And be sure to let your friends know all about the Revision Report podcast. Today, we're talking to Dr. Dominique Thompson. The award-winning author and TEDx speaker will be exploring, amongst other things, anxiety, perfectionism, the fear of failing, and the impact that that can have on students. Hi, Dr. Dominique Thompson, uh, Dom, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Um, so I wanted to start just by asking you about your school days. Uh, what was your favourite subject and how did you find uh, exams and revising? Oh, right. OK. That's going to be harking back quite some time. <laughs> uh, do you want me to start with the favourite subject? Let's do that. Oh, well, I mean, obviously my favourite was lunch. But um, <laughs> if I had to pick a topic, it was probably biology, which okay. is a little bit predictable. So it does make sense, doesn't it, doctor? it really was. And I think I just liked understanding how things worked. And I guess that curiosity hasn't left me. I always like to know the whys behind things. So I would say biology was probably my favourite topic. How did I find exams? Well, exams are stressful. They've always been stressful. Everybody finds them stressful to a greater or lesser degree. And I think that's a normal part of our you know, human fight or flight reaction. You can't get rid of that. So it's about being as prepared as you can, pacing yourself, and perhaps we'll talk a bit more about what else you can do to get through exams a bit later. Mm. But I wouldn't say I was sort of any different from anyone else, but I did always think at least I prepared well. But I had certain... Uh, not rules, but things that I did, like I always took Saturday nights off. So I would say I've never revised on a Saturday night in my life, which is perhaps a slightly strange thing, but it psychologically allowed me to always have that as a break. So there are little things like that that you can do to sort of plan ahead. Hmm. Uh, so I've been reading your book, mm, thank you. How to Grow a Grown-Up. Mm -hmm. One of the things that really struck me in here is, is that you talk about the role of parenting and saying that perhaps one of the most important things for parents to do is to prepare their child for independent living. And I just wondered how. What are the what are the main pitfalls that you find? What makes what makes growing up today for our children so much different than it was before, if indeed it is? I definitely think it's different. So uh, I spent a very long time looking after other people's children. Um, for about 20 years, probably, I saw, well, I did over 78,000 consultations with uh, young adults uh, at university. And there was a big shift in that time. I noticed how many more young people were coming in struggling, really, by the time I left clinical practice to do other things like write and give talks. I was noticing that almost every single consultation that I was doing had a mental health element to it or was primarily for a stress-related or distress-related issue. So I did start to ask myself what was going on and why was this so different from when I started. And 
there are definitely some things that are very different now in the 21st century that young people are immersed in, but perhaps haven't got the um, time or insight to see what's going on around them, of course, because they're experiencing it, they're living it. Um, And so I had the luxury of having a bit of time to think about what was going on for them. And two or three of the main themes that sort of keep coming up are to do with a really significant fear of failure. They're terrified of getting things wrong terrified of letting people down, really, really trying to be the best all the time. So there's a real significant increase in perfectionism, which has been shown in studies done by psychologists. And we're also seeing this competitiveness that runs through everything in their lives now. So absolutely everything has become a competition and it feels like it's a sort of never-ending treadmill of what will people think of next to make a competition. You know, we've made everything okay starting with the you know cooking and baking competitive but we even have you know putting on your makeup is now competitive it's 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 a very strange world that we're living in right now mm-hmm. so those elements all coming together on top of the usual kind of pressure to do well at school do well in exams maybe choose to go to university or go into the workplace all of those things um, feel like they're sort of ramping up the pressure on a generation where um you magnify all of that with social media. So then all of those pressures, competition, perfectionism are under the spotlight with being posted on Instagram or um, Snapchat and so on. So there's this just enormous pressure on them that definitely wasn't there before. And I think that is playing a part in what is going on for their stress levels and well-being generally. Mm-hmm. I think the, the fear of failure bit is so interesting. Mm-hmm. To compare that to, as a parent, consider it part of the job description to protect my children, um, to pick them up if they fall down, to to shelter them um, to a greater or lesser extent in ways that I would look back and think my parents did for me or didn't do for me rather. And how far does that have an impact? Are we as parents going too far in trying to protect our children, do you think? Well, I mean, it's a really interesting kind of philosophical discussion is what does it mean to be a parent? And I always think if you boil it absolutely right down, there's a very, very basic answer, which is to ensure that your children can survive and thrive without you there. So you've got to get them to the point where they can manage to live their lives and hopefully do well, but survive initially and then thrive without you. So that's the most basic level. And then as a parent, it's extremely lovely if you can teach them skills like to be compassionate, to be kind, to try and give back to the world, to do things for others. Of course, those are really important important life skills. But we have a very natural instinct, all parents do, whether you are a tiger or a panda or or a penguin, you're going to protect your young. But you also have to teach them to protect themselves and do things for themselves. So one of the biggest messages throughout my talks, throughout the book, is that you have to teach them to do it for themselves, not do it for them, whatever the it is, whatever that task is, at an age-appropriate stage. But I think we mustn't forget that our role and responsibility is that they can cope without us, first of all, when they're old enough, so Mm. in their late teens, and that they can manage when things go wrong. Because for me, that's one of the biggest shifts that I've seen over the last 20 years with dealing all the young people that came in through the door. They seem to find it much, much harder to cope with 
should we say, the bumps in the road, the ups and downs of life. Um, and so another one of the things that I say, especially when I give talks to, to teenagers, to sixth formers, is life is wiggly. It's not a straight line. And of course, it's completely understandable that for them, life feels like a straight path. They're going to go down it. They're going to get GCSEs, probably A-levels, maybe go on to uni or go into the workplace. Then they're going to get a job. They're going to meet someone. They might have children, you know, and it feels very linear to them. And of course, those of us who are a little bit older and greyer know that when you look back, wow, so many things might have gone wrong or differently. And if you'd done this, you know, you might have gone off in that direction and we know that it's all about the bumps in the roads and the things that are wiggly making it interesting but actually they can feel overwhelming and terrifying those bumps and those wiggles if you're not prepared for them and so we can have really straightforward conversations that say you know things might not work out do you have a plan b have you thought about what you might do if that not saying it won't happen you know not about being negative but if it doesn't work out do you have a plan b have you thought about what you might do and just having those conversations quite early on it can start when they're quite young and they're kind of you know they're playing a match you know for their little football team or their netball team and you say and they're so excited because they're going to win and you say okay that's great but you know if you don't win it's also not the end of the world. Just give it your best shot. So you prepare them, not for negativity, and it doesn't stop their competitiveness. It just makes them think that winning is not the be-all and end-all, and there are other possible options mm. at the end of this match. And so I just think it is so important that we prepare them for that possibility that when and if things go wrong, they're ready to deal with it. And how much of that then ties back to this idea of perfectionism, mm. as you say, or an, an excess of, um, of perfectionism, yes. that it's not okay just to do something, mm. um, that you need to excel. Yes. We've seen more and more young people feeling the need to excel, to be the best, uh, not just do their best. We're not 100% sure where that comes from, but it could be driven by this extra competitiveness that's occurring in all aspects of their lives. But what it does is make them never happy with what they've achieved. So if they set a goal and they meet that goal, they then move the goal higher. They make it harder again for themselves. If they start a piece of work or a painting or an essay and they're not happy with it, they just scrap it and start again. They have a very low tolerance for making mistakes. It's black and white, all or nothing. Everything is either awful or awesome when you're a teenager, of course. So it makes it very hard for them to just accept that actually that mistake might be part of the process and something to learn from. So they're really tough on themselves, super self-critical, never happy with what they've done. And that's the bit about the perfectionism that is a negative effect on their well-being. So a lot of people, if you say, well, people are becoming more perfectionist and we're seeing that more as a tendency in young people, um, they might say, well, doesn't that just mean they'll tidy their room a bit more or their essays will be a bit neater? And of course, that would be fine if that's all it was, but it isn't. It's the self-critical negative aspects of it that are really worrying. And then what happens is we know that perfectionistic tendencies are associated, unfortunately, with mental health conditions like anxiety mm. or depression or self-harm or eating disorders. And of course, so you rise, you see a rise in the number of young people with perfectionism. You're going to see a rise in the number of young people with mental health issues potentially. And that's why we need to be careful about it. So it matters and it's important that we're seeing more young people with perfectionist tendencies. So we have to think about what we can do as parents. And one of the strongest messages we can give to them is to think about 
what would be good enough? Where would we set that bar? And perhaps just get them to, you know, ramp back a little bit some of that pressure on themselves and say, actually, you know, a B plus, an A minus, you know, for those who are aiming for A stars all around, actually, sometimes the 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 grade is not everything. If you're happy that you've been creative, you've tried something a bit different, a bit risky, a bit, you know, creative and stretching yourself, that might actually be worth more in the longer run, not in terms of numbers and grades, but actually in what you've learned from it. So the big message is about trying to find what is good enough for that young person. And that ties in, doesn't it, with the idea of a, a growth mindset? Yes. Of believing in the process and yeah. uh, as you say that level of creativity not the not the definitive result absolutely yes 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 so I mean um, with growth mindset we we talk about you know I haven't achieved that yet mm. and and absolutely the process is part of it you know for me if parents are more aware of this tendency towards perfectionism if they're aware of the competitiveness that perhaps they just haven't had a chance to reflect on before they can do little things like say you know if there's um, a birthday party or an event just not make it have a competitive element mm. have some fun but don't make it competitive because the big thing that people perhaps don't always realize with perfectionist tendencies is that those who are strongly um, showing them uh, are strongly perfectionist if they cannot be the best they will stop trying so i think what's what's interesting is that, that idea then that we want to uh, remove competitiveness as appropriate from mm. from aspects that are fun and should be fun yeah. when aspects that are distinctively not fun mm. uh, so exams yeah. schoolwork how do how do we as parents help encourage our children to take more active control i guess mm. um, and learn to fail mm. in a safe way one thing about exams is understanding that there are plenty of helpful things that parents can do because, of course, exams are competitive. That's a different aspect of life. We're not going to be able to avoid that. So it's about being prepared for them the best you can. So I always say we'll start with the basics, which are making sure that things like food, um, rest, exercise and sleep are all the needs that are met. OK, so make sure they're doing all of those as well as you can and encouraging them if they're older, you know, to do it for themselves. Then there are things around understanding that some stress is normal. Okay, we cannot sail through exams stress-free. I mean, that would be very odd and actually a bit strange because, as I said earlier, it's it's a fight or flight reaction. When we're under pressure, we release lots of adrenaline. It focuses the mind. It makes us think sharply. It heightens our senses. We're processing things more quickly. And we need to be able to do that, you know. And, and obviously, the fight or flight reaction itself comes from when we all lived in caves and we had to avoid the saber-toothed tiger. But actually, it's still there to help us in times of stress. You're not going to get rid of that. You kind of don't want to. That's okay. A little bit of stress is fine because it focuses us. If, however, your young person is overwhelmed by stress, they're not sleeping for days at a time, they're losing weight, they've lost their appetite, they've stopped eating, that's not helpful. And that's when you need to sort of sit with them and address, well, what exactly is going on? What are they worried about? Um, are there things that you can do with them, like help them with um, distraction type techniques, which are brilliant and really simple? Say if you have anxiety, there's a distraction technique whereby... Um, 
anywhere you are and no one can see you doing it, you can look around the room and think, right, what can I see that's green? And then you, in your own mind, are thinking, right, I can see a green book, I can see green shoes, I can see um, a green bin or something like that. And then you take yourself through those. And those are techniques that kids can learn and do on their own you know, whether they're sitting on the bus or in an exam. And those distraction techniques are well recognized and really helpful and useful. So there's practical things you can do. If they're saying they want you to help them a bit with their studies, which they may not do, but but if you want to be helpful with studies, again, the big message, you're not doing it for them, okay? You're not doing the exam, you don't need to do the revision. But you can do things that are practical and useful, like if they've been learning about a topic, just get them to tell you about it because telling someone else about a topic is a really good way to revise it. So that's, they can tell their five-year-old sister about it as well. I mean, it doesn't matter who, but explaining it to someone else is a really practical way to learn. You can just make sure they're doing things like having breaks because, of course, you know, no one learns well for sort of sitting eight hours at a time at a desk. So making sure they have blocks of, say, 50 minutes for an hour and then go and do something else completely different for 10 minutes. You know, uh, walk outside, run up and down the stairs, watch YouTube video videos of cats falling into toilets. I mean, it doesn't really matter as long as they do something else for those 10 minutes. And, you can, you, you know, you can be helpful, but you don't have to be over-involved and in those ways they can be preparing for their exams they can feel they've done their revision in bite-sized chunks they're getting their sleep they're eating healthily they're getting outside which is really important to get some fresh air sometimes and then if you do want to listen to them talking about their topic they can tell you about their topic um, they can show you what they've done that day you can be involved but remember you're not doing the exam so I think those are some helpful and just practical things that mm. parents can do so I wonder whether in looking at creating that that level of trust we talked about before, the mm. parent trusting that the the child will do what they need to do, that actually there's also an element of modelling behaviour from the parent as well. So, in in creating this impression that I only want my child to succeed, mm. should we be doing more to? I don't I don't want to go as far as to say celebrate our failures, mm -hmm. but to be open about the fact that actually my path was wiggly. Yes. Um, it wasn't linear and straightforward. Yes, yes. So I'm a big fan. Not a, It's not about celebrating. I know some people say that, that, you know, that's the next step, really. I'm just open about it. So, I, I mean, in the past, say, I went for a, a job on a board um, to, to be a, I don't know, non-exec or something. I didn't get it. And I came home and, you know, my little boy came home that evening and said, how was your day? I said, oh, well, I went for a job interview, but I didn't get it. But I'm OK with that. I gave it my best shot and I'm happy with that. And he was like, oh, my God, are you OK, mummy? I said, I'm I'm fine, but thank you for asking. And and he moved on because kids are like that. You know, they're like, oh, she's fine, good, I'll move on. And I think the important thing is that we talk about the stuff that doesn't happen or that goes wrong within reason. I'm not talking about going into massive depth about your relationship breakups and things like that. But just the fact that, you know, if you, you know, I don't know, went for a bid for a bit of work or you, I don't know, wrote a paper and it didn't get published or you wrote an article and it got lots of corrections. Just talking about the normal ups and downs of life is so normalising for young people. It just becomes part of the fabric of the background. They don't need to worry that the first time that something goes wrong for them will be the first time that mum or dad have ever had to deal with anything like this. And it might be that, oh, do you know what? It took me three goes to pass my driving test or, um, you know, the first time I tried to get a bus, I ended up in the wrong direction or whatever it is. You know, all those funny little things that we kind of don't really think about anymore are just part of normalising 
the ups and downs. And I wouldn't, you know, I mean, we can call them failures. We can call them life experiences, learning curve, whatever you want to call it. But the, the, the point is we're saying that it's part of life. So I think that's a really important thing that we can all do. Um, and it, it doesn't take long. It's just part of everyday life, isn't it? It's part mm. of the conversations that we have. I think mm. you have to be a bit selective, obviously not trying to stress your kids <laughs> out. But it's just the normality of stuff. Um, I think that is super important. But there will be times when there, when actually things do go on, things will spiral out of control. What what would the advice be to parents in those in those situations where, in the approach to exams, um, maybe an overzealous student working too hard and and is becoming weighed down by anxiety and, and stress? What what should we do? Sure. I mean, there comes a point and it might be that, as you said, they've stopped sleeping completely or they've just stopped eating. They're losing weight. They're over-exercising to compensate for their stress. You know, you may pick up on some unusual behaviours, secret eating, um, secretive behaviours generally that have gone up. The, the point is that there's a change in behaviour and it seems to be overwhelming or worrying. I think that's when it's important to look for professional advice. You might start with a website. You know, there are plenty of good websites out there that give good advice about you know, dealing with exam stress or dealing with anxiety specifically, if that's the problem, you know, if it's self-harm or something, you know, that feels as uh, stressful as that for you to have to manage. There are specialist websites. So I think it's always good to go online and get some reputable advice. And there are websites, as I said, like Young Minds or Mind are very good. There are plenty of sort of self-harm uh, support ones, eating issues, you know, um, such as the BEAT or anorexia bulimia care. So there's lots of national advice advice out there. If that's not enough, I think the next step is to talk to someone. Um, depending on where the problem is, you might think, well, I'll, I'll talk to their teacher. Uh, I'll talk to a, a school counsellor. I might just get some professional advice as a parent talking to the people who work around the young person. If they're at university, just to say, don't start emailing the tutor talk to the young person first. Uh, first of all, because of confidentiality, once they're over 18, there's very little that the tutors and counsellors can do. If you are so worried that you think something extreme is going to happen, you can, of course, phone them or email them, but let them know you know they can't come back to you, but you just want to let them know this is happening. So I think the giving of information is helpful anyway. It is fine to talk to your GP about stuff like this. It is exactly what GPs can be helpful with this sort of early intervention for something related to psychological or emotional distress GPs are, are really good for that sort of thing um, and then if you need to of course there are various sort of you know third sector organizations in Bristol we're really lucky to have off the record uh, which is a, a, a sort of a voluntary and charity organization that supports young people aged 11 to 25 and plenty of cities have their equivalent uh, where you can get free support and groups and one-to-one -one support so I think you know there is a lot out there the, the key is not to panic and feel you're all alone and you can't manage this I mean it's sad on the one hand but also reassuring to know you are not alone in having to deal with these sorts of stresses sadly um, you know parents all over the UK all over the world are dealing with similar issues and there are resources out there and of course you know there are sort of um, you know great books and books for young people themselves if, if I can just mention, I've written some short guides on anxiety and depression and, and, and it's got another one called resourcefulness. They do say at university, but actually they're for young people generally. And they're just short guides written for young people. So, you know, I think there's a lot out there. You are not alone is the first thing to say. And the second thing is ask for help. Thank you so much to our amazing guest, Dr. Dominique Thompson. What an interesting talk that was. 
and such a great book too. It's easily accessible, it's explained in clear and easy to understand language, not even slightly a medical book. It's the kind of thing all of us parents should be reading. Especially really like the three main points that she made there about the fear of failure and about striving to be the best rather than to do your best and the impact that perfectionism is having. One of the things I'll certainly be taking away is that distraction technique as a way of taking a moment to take stock and, and just keep things in perspective. Also, thanks very much to you for listening to the Revision Report podcast. We want to make sure that everyone who can benefit from this podcast is. So please subscribe, review, and if you like what you heard, leave a five-star rating. Oh, and don't forget to tell your friends all about it. Speak to you next week for another episode of the Revision Report podcast.